You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I am your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of BrewHoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. As we both uh, completed our travel plans over the last couple of days, so uh, we've had a little break here for the podcast. No Monday or Tuesday pod, but we are back here. It's, uh, what do we got? We've got about nine hours left in the in 2019, Frank. How are you doing? I'm good. Another year uh, just flies by and, um, you know, I guess, I don't know. We don't need to start with the like 2019 retrospective on the Bucks, right. but um, yeah, certainly kind of crazy, crazy year plus for the Milwaukee Bucks and all of us who've been along for the ride, obviously. But to uh, to be exiting 2019 at 30 and five with you know historic point differentials and all the other stuff that we talk about every day, um, certainly the cap to uh, obviously a great calendar year could have been. A little bit better, obviously, uh, with with last year's playoff, the history of this team, and kind of where things had been trending. Obviously, I would say this was the year where um, maybe maybe at the end of 2018, like stuff started to like, oh my god, this team's actually really good. Um, but certainly, this this calendar year was when the Bucks, I think, solidified their their credentials as obviously a real title contender, and um, obviously just the the role that they've been on this season. Uh, building on on last year has been been pretty incredible and um, included in that has been just crushing bad teams they're 21 and 0 now against sub 500 <laughs> teams this year uh, which uh, Seth Hartnott treated out the the top three point differentials against sub 500 teams since 2004 are all happening this season <laughs> so the Bucks I think are what plus 21 net rating or something like that uh, and I think the Mavs and Clippers maybe I think were the other two teams yeah. that, that are currently ahead of the all time or the at least the record of last uh the best record in the last 15 years so um so yeah I, I it's interesting I, I don't I, I don't necessarily know exactly why I don't know if there's like a, an obvious reason why all of a sudden this year the Bucks and a couple other teams are just destroying bad teams especially given load management and you know obviously the injuries that the Clippers and the Bucks have had to some good players it's not like you know these teams are just playing their best players um, 38 minutes a game and just, just stomping cut teams. But as we saw against the Bulls um, and, and to, to large and also against the Magic, right, which we haven't talked since the Magic game either, Giannis and Bledsoe both out of that game as well, and they still win. Um, it, it is remarkable just, again, the infrastructure of, of the Bucks, and to obviously to some extent these other teams that are doing the same. Um, it, it's just remarkable how much that is worth night in and night out just as far as it's a larger sense just sort of being able to outclass uh, some of these lesser teams. And obviously the bulls we've, we, we've seen them do this now time and time and time again over the past year plus bulls and, and uh, pistons seem like the just teams that just cannot, uh, cannot figure out how to, how to beat the bucks. And um, we saw that again on, on uh, 
oh god my days are all messed up uh was that a what was that a monday night is that when the, yeah i think it was yeah. monday night right uh the bucks beat the bulls 123 102 um and even with an avalanche of three-pointers early the bucks just you know played their bucks basketball eventually started to make some threes we saw Giannis back doing some Giannis stuff Bledsoe back doing some Bledsoe stuff and chris middleton also doing chris middleton stuff and yeah monkey bucks very good at basketball yeah it wasn't lost on me uh the fact that that that's how the decade ended for the Bucks, the fact that they just blew out the Bulls because that's nine wins in a row uh, against Chicago. And you've already spoke about the, the dominance they've had over the Pistons. And it's just kind of uh, interesting to think back when you think to the, the decade before this, where it was all the Pistons and, and obviously they were the good team. And then the Cavs took over. And then at the start of this decade, it was the Bulls that were um, the, the really great team in the, in the central, not that the divisions, you know, really mean anything now, but yeah, you know, I was, when I was, uh, you know, watching that game last night, I was just thinking to myself, this is, this is kind of, kind of fun to see. And even the fact that how many Bucks fans get to those games now in Chicago, I think I've told this um, story before, but the first Bucks game I ever got to live was uh, game three of the 2015 playoff series. And I went to game three, four and six in that one. And uh, it just like really shocked me, even though obviously I'd, I'd, I'd watch games on TV and I, I'd, spoken to, to Bucks fans or whatever and knew that the, the Bulls fans sort of came uh, came up and took over the, the Bradley Center for to see this now and it, it was last year it was the same but but seriously I mean it, it felt like close to 50-50 last night it probably was I mean it was probably 60-40 but there is a lot of Bucks fans that are there and um, it, it's it's fun to see because this just was not the case a while ago and last night was such a funny game the Bucks ended up winning 123-102 and uh, they withstood another uh, Kobe uh, onslaught. I, I this guy. I feel like in how many times have we played the, the the Bulls now? Three times, and and I feel like each time uh, they've had to withstand some sort of barrage uh, from Kobe White. And in this one, I think he hit three threes to start the second quarter, and the game was, you know, remarkably close considering. Um, how well the Bulls were shooting and the Bucks go into halftime just one for 14. But the, the big thing was that Milwaukee were able to get whatever they wanted inside inside the perimeter. And even if you look at the stats at the end of the game, uh, they shoot over 50% uh, from the field, but only 11 for 32 from three. So this was really the situation where the Bucks were missing a lot of open threes. It wasn't like those looks were bad, but uh, guys like Chris Milton and, and you already mentioned, you know, when you when you get Bledsoe and, and Giannis back and these guys, and I think Bledsoe, the impact he has for the pace of the team, I think was very noticeable right from the start. And they were just able to to get wherever they wanted, 29 assists on the night. You just felt at halftime that if the Bucks have scored 55 points on this team with hitting one three, <laughs> if the shots start to fall, this is going to be a blowout. And it was. Yeah, I think at halftime, it was one out of 14 from three for the Bucks versus... Yeah. I think it was 10 out of 24 for the Bulls. So plus 27 point advantage from the three point line for Chicago. But um, <laughs> obviously, yeah, but still losing. Cause I think both teams, I want to say, uh, cause I was looking at this at halftime last night. I think they, both teams had shot 31 twos and the Bucks had hit like 20 and the Bulls had hit 10 or something, something yeah. like that. So you had 20 points back by essentially doubling your accuracy on two point shots. And again, obviously just the, the Lopez brothers, Giannis, just again, clogging up the middle, taking away anything easy at the bucket for the Bulls. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, the Bulls, I don't believe the Bulls shot a free throw in the first half. They finished five out of eight for the game. Um, and I think the Bucks were like 12 out of 15 or something like that. They finished 20 out of 24. So, um, you know, that, that 
take away the rim, don't give anything easy at the free throw line. Um, that whole thing that the Bucks are so good at doing, um, that uh, obviously really bore itself out. Uh, and, and it was just a matter of time before the three-point shooting numbers, um, you know, again, sort of regressed to the mean a bit. And, you know, when all was said and done, um, I guess Bucks in the second half, uh, they finished 11 out of 32, so I guess 10 out of 18 <laughs> in the second half. Uh, Bulls 17 out of 44 finished, so seven out of 20 uh, in the second half, which is fine. You know, that's 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 totally respectable. Um, but again, just uh, fighting uphill with how much more effective the Bucks were inside the arc, and only a 50 to 42 advantage in the paint, paint which isn't a isn't a huge difference, uh, uh, but. You know, again, two-point percentage, 36.5% for the Bulls, 67% for the Bucks, which is just pretty pretty remarkable um, that, that you know, you'd, you'd have that, that amount of an advantage. And um, a little bit different in that Bucks had a 20-to-4 advantage from mid-range. Obviously, the mid-range is not, you know, where the Bucks tend to live. But Chris Middleton, I think that a lot of that was Chris Middleton <laughs> stuff. Um, he only hit one out of five threes tonight, but – nine out of 19 overall that's eight out of 14 on uh from mid-range and and again it's it's funny to think i mean to me that that's really the big difference between you, know, you think a year ago chris really took until he had kind of that hot start where he was shooting the three lot and then um regressed a bit had that forgettable december where he got the benching and there was kind of friction and um and then kind of then started to turn around again as as the new year started but um it just seems like this year you know Bud, Bud lets Chris operate from the mid-range. You know, he's got small guys on him. He can work in the post. Um, you know, the, the kind of rules are, are more guidelines for, for Chris in particular. Uh, and it's working. Obviously, Chris is playing at a really high level. Game high, 25 points, six rebounds, four assists last night as he just continues to play at, at a very high level. And um, that was helpful, especially with Giannis coming back from the back injury. Um, I don't think he was at a hundred percent. I tweeted out in the second quarter. Uh, he had a swooping, gorgeous kind of end to end play. Mm-hmm. And immediately thereafter, they had kind of a focus on him as he was running back. And he looked like he gestured um, at Mike Budenholzer and said, coach, and kind of looked like he requested to, to be subbed out. Uh, and that was at the seven and a half minute mark of uh, the second, you know, and he had just come back at the start of the quarter. So certainly quicker than a than normal sub and after the timeout he was out of the game Ursan was back but thankfully he did come back uh and obviously you know eight out of 14 one out of three from three six out of six from the line Woo! happy about that number uh 10 rebounds six assists in 27 minutes so um i think it's been like four or five games since Giannis had more than 23 points like he, he has not had a big scoring uh outburst i think since the lakers game i want to say um, and some of that's been obviously just blowouts and not playing a lot of minutes. Some of it was obviously the Christmas game where he was just held in check. Um, but it's been a while since he had a big scoring outburst. His, his points per game number has been dropping pretty pretty significantly over the past week and a half. But obviously you hope that, that he's feeling starting to feel better. And it would be nice if you obviously didn't have to load manage him quite so much. And as you mentioned, Eric Bledsoe as well. Bledsoe, 16 minutes, 15 <laughs> points on eight shots four steals, three assists, three rebounds. And I think what you mentioned, I mean, he was a team, a game high plus 26. It just seemed like he did a really nice job dictating the pace, you know, attacking selectively. He had that early lob uh, to Giannis on the break for a dunk. And, um, you know, it's it, as, as good as the Bucks were without him. Obviously you saw today, 
hey, there's an advantage of having an actual point guard start starting games and having a point guard who can actually just, you know, dribble and, and attack the rim and, and just be another guy who can bend the defense and and uh, and create easy shots. And, and obviously it was nice to see Bledsoe back a little, a little over the two weeks since uh, he went out with that leg injury, but certainly did not look any worse for the wear. Uh, and obviously healthy Bledsoe, healthy Giannis, obviously fingers crossed uh, we'll see those guys in the lineup night in and night out from here on out. Uh, with the exception of maybe some load management. But um, yeah, it's uh, a nice way to ease those guys back into it here as, as we close out 2019. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I think, you know, looking at the, the Bucks record, obviously 30 and 5, uh, you're like, okay, well, this team doesn't have, well, hasn't had too many issues, but then you think, well, they missed Middleton, obviously, for an extended stretch. Giannis obviously hasn't missed a lot of games, only the three games now, but he's been out the last couple. Doesn't really matter against uh, most teams in the league. And then, and then you miss Bledsoe, and you're really essentially running a starting lineup for eight games without a, a traditional point guard. And, and you're saying, okay, Giannis, well, you can, you can take a lot of the ball handling. Chris, you, you take over there. They did a good job, but uh, I do think that uh, as we, we sort of mentioned, and we spoke about this a little bit on, on Christmas Day after that game, it's nice to just have that other guy who can, who can really create some stuff. And I, I think you saw that. Obviously, you mentioned the, the alley-oop pass there to, to Giannis early. But he, he's just a guy that can, can attack. And uh, he, you're confident with him with the ball in his hands off the dribble. I thought he looked really good. And, and with a contact injury like that, you always wonder whether... Uh, you know how he's going to return and if he's going to be as aggressive as he normally was uh, there was no issues with that he was definitely seeking out uh, body contact on some of those drives uh, early in the game which is interesting because when you when you listen to Bud and what he's sort of said over the last couple of days uh, it was really only it was under a week ago where I think Bud said yeah we're going to start to get him into some contact stuff now and then three days later he's playing and 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 hitting the floor like several times in in that first quarter when looking to to attack so it's a great sign and yeah i think it's it's easy uh to sort of overlook that and say well the bucks are still winning most of these games easily and uh think that you you haven't missed Bledsoe as much as you did but yeah only 16 minutes which uh yeah bud did say there was a minute restriction on him and after the game he he sort of said that was around the range that they wanted to keep him to it would have been interesting if this was more of a game whether he might have pushed up to 20 or, or low 20s. I'm not too sure. They certainly took advantage of what was uh, turning into a blowout at that point, and, and it didn't really matter. And, and obviously, you can play George Hill and, then, and whatever other lineups they wanted to run with. But I, I do want to talk about Chris Milton a little bit because you mentioned uh, the, the mid-range stuff. And when we talk about adjustments for the, for the Bucks offense and the different things that they're doing, I, I think some of it has just been pretty organic and it's like okay Chris you can just do what you want to do a little bit more and and Bud has sort of loosened that leash a little bit on him and I think that's been great for him and when you look at his December 20.2 points 5.9 rebounds 4.5 assists which is a a nice number for him particularly because the minutes aren't high (laughs) he hasn't been playing you know extended minutes or anything like that most nights he's in the mid-20s and then the shooting splits of 51 44 90 uh, I mean, it's been a hell of a month for him. And again, we keep speaking about it, but he just looks like a guy that's just so comfortable getting to his spots. And and yeah, he's still shooting the threes with a similar frequency, but the mid-range stuff is what you notice. I mean, he's he's, he's just so efficient from that range. And, and he picks on a, a mismatch 
as, as well as anyone on the box. And one of the best guys in, in that sort of range in the league, honestly. Like, if you get anyone slightly smaller than him, you know exactly what's going to happen. And it's, it's just a money shot for him. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you, and you look, at the, um, you look at the numbers for him uh, as far as the shot distribution um, and compare it the last couple of years. So his, his three-point, the percentage of shots coming from three are down a little bit from 41% last year to 36%. That's the, the frequency, not the, per, not the mm-hmm. accuracy. Um, but he's still close to seven, seven threes per 36, which you know, is close to what he was at last year um, and certainly a, a marked improvement on what he was at kind of before the Bud era. Uh, and, you know, even the, the kind of long two percentage, 15% of his shots coming on long twos versus 11% last year, but that's lower than what it was uh, in any pre- season prior to that. So, you know, again, he's not, it's not like he's jumped up to kind of kid levels of um, kind of long twos. Uh, yeah. He is taking actually a, his, his kind of short mid range shot, the 10 to 16 foot shots. Um, those are actually, 20% of his shots now, which is uh, the second highest number he's ever had in his career. So that's kind of interesting. That's kind of probably more of those, um, you know, those, those kind of post-ups on small guys. Uh, and, and we just sort of see it like, you know, the ball just kind of comes to him, defense kind of gets bent, and he just happens to have the ball, you know, at the elbow or something. I mean, he's going to shoot that, and he's pretty much, you know, going <laughs> to make it. He's really good at that shot. I mean, he's shooting 55% on uh, those, like, kind of medium distance mid-rangers those 10 to 16 foot shots are on long twos um so again the mid-range shot obviously not generally something you want to seek out uh but with the way chris has shot those shots this year um uh, they end up being not bad shots especially when you know they're a shot you can kind of i mean this is sort of the thing right like you know like when you look at play types i mean there's been a lot of talk about post-ups and especially with you know kind of the, the Rick Carlisle defending, not using post-steps with, with Chris Tepps, Porzingis. It's obviously been kind of a media story of late. Um, and I think it's an interesting discussion um, because, uh, again, you know, it's, it gets back to this whole thing. It's like if you look at, you know, like synergy stats, it's like, well, uh, the best stats, you know, the, be- the best, the best most, free, most efficient shots are transition and, you know, pick and roll, roll man type plays uh, and putbacks and things like that, right? It's like, well, okay. You can't just call that up. You, know, you can't just say like, all right, we're just going to run a pick and roll and it's going to be a, a pocket pass to Giannis for a dunk, right? I mean, those are hard to actually <laughs> to actually pull off uh, versus a post-up versus an ISO play. I mean, those are those are lower efficiency because you can generally dictate that you, you if you want to get a shot that way, you can get a shot that way. And so, um, again, it's always about just finding a balance and, and just having ways that you can create shots that are maybe not – the most efficient in the world, but that, uh, you know, if you have guys who are effective, you know, relatively very effective as isolation, as post-up guys, um, then that's a really valuable thing to have because, you know, when you need a bucket, you know, that you can go to those guys and, and you got a, a decent shot at, at getting, getting two points. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think with Chris, uh, I think the obvious question, which we've asked, and I think generally comes up a lot. Um, I'm not sure. Did you, Kane, did you listen to uh, Zach Lowe's podcast with, uh, Eric Kareen and Bruce Arthur, the Toronto guys. Uh, I listened the to the week. I listened to the Raptors post on the plane. Yes, that was yeah. a, that was a full blown Raptors uh, yeah. fan fan podcast. I did listen to. Yeah, that. yeah, and there was a little bit of um, there was a little bit of Bucks talk in there as well. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of yeah, like was. a lot of East talk, and you know, as Zach Lowe pointed out, I mean, one of the obvious things um, about what 
you see from the Bucks is something, and, and is a question is, you know, they tend to play Middleton, Bledsoe, and Giannis together a lot more than you might think, and then they have these all bench lineups. And um, you know, I think that's a that's a big question. And I thought we saw. I mean, I think last night was a good example. Um, you know, it looked like Chris was really cooking with Giannis on the bench. They, they, you know, it was a little bit more staggering than I think we normally see just because probably Giannis coming back from the injury, it seemed like he played shorter, you know, shorter, uh, shorter stints, especially in that second quarter. And, um, you know, to me, again, I, I just think that is something that, you know, you should go to more often. You should try to more consciously stagger those guys uh, you know, in games, uh, even in the regular season, because yeah, it's great that you can run out five bench guys and be okay. But, you know, again, w- w- what's going to happen come the playoffs? Well, you're not going to play 11, 12 guys, right? Which again, not that Bud's playing 12 guys in the first quarter or something like that, but um, you know, you're not going to play tons and tons of guys. Your best players are going to play more. I mean, Chris Middleton's averaging 28 minutes. Giannis is like, I think, I don't even know if he's at 31 at this point. He's right around 31 those guys obviously need to play more. And so to me, I, I do wonder a little bit like, okay, are you, are you going to, how is that going to manifest itself? And I think again, in the playoffs, I think you need to minimize the time when you're running out guys who, you know, don't have that high end shot creation ability. And, and to me, that's a big question is like, what, what exactly happens? I mean, Hey, I'm enjoying the Ursanity, you know, Ursanity Silva having this, you know, <laughs> tremendous month or so that he's had since that cold shooting start. But um, I don't want to have to rely on, you know, George Hill and Ursan having to shoulder the offensive load, you know, in the start of a fourth quarter of like an elimination game in the playoffs. Right. And, um, so again, not that uh, that's definitely going to happen, but um, I think it, it is interesting as we watch Chris and especially when Giannis was out, you know, being able to see the way he can continue to succeed as he did last year when Giannis was on the bench. Um, again, that's one of those nagging things that I just wonder, um, you know, is there going to be any sort of change as the season goes on where we do see them more staggered or is Spud going to continue to do this? Is he going to try to play um, all bench lineups every round of the playoffs? Is this something he's going to do as just as long as he can get away with it or or what exactly happens then? I think it's interesting to monitor, but also from the the fact of uh, guys like Giannis and Chris that uh, are going to get to the playoffs and have only played 30, 31 minutes a night. And then it's like, okay, you've been playing this load the whole entire season. And that's great because you get to the playoffs and theoretically you're feeling fresh and you don't have that uh, wear and tear that potentially some of the other guys do. But when you get to an Eastern Conference Finals, are you actually capable of playing 40 minutes a night yeah. and not just being, uh, you know, too fatigued to, to actually be effective in, in that moment anyway? So I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And it, it, it probably there is some sort of argument, I'm not sure, where you say, well, okay, are you actually better off playing 35 minutes a night and then missing more games I- entirely? Uh, I'm not sure. And it, and it doesn't sound like a lot. It only sounds like four minutes. But uh, we know from watching Giannis, I mean, even when he's playing 30 minutes, the intensity that he plays at and, uh, you know, needs the player to be as dominant as he is in the style of game that he plays, he does always look very fatigued. <laughs> you know, like even in, in nights where, where the Bucks are winning by a lot, you look at Giannis when he gets to the free throw line and you're like, wow, this guy looks like he's really tired. And uh, I think that that's something that I'm a little bit, 
conscious of, just like wondering what happens. And it gets back to your point of, okay, I know that it's great right now that you're able to look at the box score every single night and say, well, okay, yeah, that the starter's got great rest again. And you already mentioned the fact, I mean, Bledsoe was coming back from injury, but only 16 minutes last night. But uh, Giannis, another 27, and, and Lopez only 26, Dante 25, Pat 26. I mean, and, and that's just every night. <laughs> like they, these guys aren't playing extended minutes. So that's a concern, I guess, of mine uh, is whether they are actually going to be capable of, okay, let's ramp this up now big time in, in games that mean everything. And some interesting context for this. So, um, you know, and again, even even this far into the season, I mean, we're almost halfway through the season with 35 games, but um, like five man lineups, the, the the sample sizes still tend to be pretty small. But when you look at like one or two man lineups on and off, obviously the numbers tend to be a little bit bigger and, and maybe there's a little bit more in there to, to unpack. Um, and so like, I just looked at cleaning the glass when Chris and Giannis are both on the court, Bucks are outscoring opponents by almost 19 points per 100, which is phenomenal. I mean, that's, you know, one of the, I think, I think the Bucks have like a monopoly on like the top five, <laughs> like one and two man combinations um, just because they've been so dominant and their point differential is so much better than any other team. But um, Chris and Giannis together and the starters more generally, obviously have been terrific this year. Um, if you just take Giannis with no Chris, you're at plus 13.5 or something like that net rating, which is obviously terrific. Chris, no Giannis, plus 10, uh, over plus 10 points per 100 uh, advantage, which obviously is also terrific, right? Like if you can put Giannis on the bench and just run out Chris out there, you know, the fact that you're going to tend to obviously still do pretty damn well is obviously a really encouraging thing. And again, I, I understand Chris is not, you know, your typical second star or something like that. But again, you know, this is, uh, I think that was like five or 600 possessions. So it's not like, you know, it's not like we're talking about like a very small sample size, but the Bucks have, have done well. And then when both of them are on the bench, plus 4.3 points per 100. So um, obviously you're still outscoring teams, right? I mean, if you told me without Giannis and Chris, you would outscore opponents by plus four points per 100. I feel pretty good about that. Like there, there are a lot of pretty good teams in, in the league that are not on net plus 4.3. And that's what the Bucks are without their two best players on the court. So um so anyway, it's it's something to, to keep in mind, obviously, because, you know, at some point, you know, especially when it comes to playoffs, you're going to have to figure out how do you mix and match these groups in a way that, that makes the most sense and in a way that, um, you know, gives you the best chance at winning. And I think the other thing, too, is um, I, think you, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, what, is, what do these rotations look like when Chris plays 34, 35 minutes, if Giannis plays? you know, at least that, say 36, 37 minutes. Uh, obviously, I mean, that's not a trivial, you know, that's not a trivial number of minutes to increase. And, you know, as far as conditioning and just being used to that, I think there is a question like how, how well are they going to be able to adapt to that is, is a question. Um, especially, I think, with Giannis, as you mentioned, Giannis, just the way he plays and he plays hard on both ends, um, you know, he, he, doesn't, he just doesn't pace himself. That's just not how he's wired. <laughs> Um, so I think that's something to kind of watch out for. Uh, and then you know, I think last year, you know, just for context so in the playoffs, uh, and again, this includes the Detroit series where obviously I think, you know, it was almost a joke how few minutes Giannis and Chris were playing. I think they were under 30 for most of those, most of those games. Um, they ended up at 34 minutes a piece. Uh, and obviously, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the main series there where they were really challenged. 
um, was in that Toronto series. And I'm actually just pulling that up just in case people are curious. Uh, let's see. Uh, Giannis played 231 minutes. Um, yeah. 30, Giannis averaged 38 and a half minutes uh, in the Raptor series. Chris, 36.8 minutes in the Raptor series. Uh, and obviously there was a double overtime game in there as well. That kind of stretches out a little bit, but, um, but yeah, that, that's obviously a question. And, I, and obviously we saw both those guys, you know, degrade in terms of their efficiency um, in that series. And again, I don't think that was because they were playing too many minutes so much as they were playing a great team. Um, but it's, it's just kind of one of those things. And I, I guess we can at least be glad. I think sometimes, you know, Bud's, unwillingness to play Giannis really big minutes was maybe a little caricatured um, during the playoffs last year. Um, but obviously it's, it's something that, that's important to watch. I mean, Kawhi played 41 minutes per game in that Toronto series. So, um, you know, uh, can you get Giannis up to 40 minutes per game? Well, I mean, you could, you know, you, you might need to, to really give yourself the absolute best chance to win. Um, but again, it's a luxury, obviously that here in the regular season, it's not necessary. Um, but it also means that we maybe don't get quite the preview of the way that the Bucks are actually going to be managing their rotations that we might otherwise, if, if they were having to scratch and claw a bit more for wins. Well, the number that always sticks in my head is that, I mean, you mentioned the, the minutes for both uh, Giannis and, and Kawhi there um, in terms of per game. And the one that I always remember just from looking through that at the end of the series and from, other, from doing some other stuff is that, Giannis still was on the bench for 17 minutes more than Kawhi in that series. And you say, okay, 17 minutes doesn't sound like a lot over the course of six games. But when you look at their on-off for both guys, uh, it was catastrophic when either guy was on the bench. And so 17 minutes is a lot in a series that, yeah, I know it was 4-2 and and Toronto won four games in a row. But but that is like a, a really big difference in and particularly when you look at the the Bucks performance without Giannis uh, on the floor and I think that that's lost a little bit because the numbers were very similar with Kawhi when he was on the bench so as much as uh, everyone looked through it and said wow he, Giannis didn't have enough help and and Chris didn't shoot this and all that I mean Toronto were not good when Kawhi sat down so it's it's something to watch and it's and it's the ultimate. Um, you know, you, you're going to lose either way, or you're going to be you're going to fear that you're going to lose either way, because as you already mentioned, playing Giannis right now, 36 minutes, 37 minutes, it would be ridiculous because they're they're destroying so many teams, and it's hard to even think about preparing for the playoffs and ramping up those minutes as you get closer because they're still going to be beating teams, and then you're like, well, okay, what happens if you know something happens to Giannis when he when he's playing 37 minutes, then you just look like an idiot. So <laughs> I, I I don't know how you actually manage that. It's kind of a, a strange problem to have but we'll, we'll see what they do but yeah the, the bench units again uh, particularly in the first quarter I mean we're seeing it pretty much every first quarter to, to end uh, the stretch there they normally could try and get Giannis on in the last minute or, or, or so there but yeah those all, all five bench units I mean when you're playing against a good defense you've you've really just got to hope that they hit threes because uh, there's not a lot of other shot creation out there but I will say one thing I did want to mention from the game against Chicago Robin Lopez again uh, scores in double digits. It's interesting. He's having a nice little run here because uh, he only scored in double digits twice it through the first 30 games. He's now scored uh, over 10 points in three of the, the last four. And uh, he's looking pretty comfortable on offense. That hook shot, we've already spoken about the spinning hook shot. is just invincible. He, there's, nothing, there's, nothing you, there's nothing you can do about that. But his defense as well, because I think it's interesting to me when I look at the, the 
uh, box score, as you already pointed to, the, the points in the paint, 50 to 42. So Chicago had 42 points in the paint. That's above uh, the average that the Bucks normally give up. But they only had the, the eight free throws that you mentioned, and Robin Lopez had four blocks. I mean, defensively, uh, he's great off the bench. I mean, I don't know how many uh, big, man's come, big men coming off the bench uh, provide that sort of uh, defensive output that Robin does, and, and the advanced stats for, for his defense at the rim uh, are out of this world. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, I think everybody's had this, um, you know, you have players that you watch play for other teams and it feels like they never miss certain shots or they always hurt your team. And then you sign that player. And then, of course, you watch them game in and game out. And you realize, like, yes, they actually don't hit 90% of their mid-range jumpers or 80% of their <laughs> you, you actually realize, oh, yeah, these guys are actually you know, humans and they miss stuff. Um, that said, uh, it's funny when... Robin, especially when he was in Chicago, it felt like he was like an automatic mid-range jump sh- shot guy, and it felt like he was an automatic baby hook guy. Uh, and the mid-range shot, obviously, we haven't really seen from him at all um, because he's kind of trying to stretch out to the three-point line with obviously pretty mixed results at this point. But um, it is remarkable how you know he's able to fling that shot over the shoulder uh, really with either hand. Obviously, he's probably more comfortable with his right hand, but um, he is remarkably comfortable with, with either hand. And it's so funny how, for the longest time, Brooke was the offensive Lopez brother and Robin was, you know, the defensive Lopez brother. And now, you know, I would say Brooke still has a more complete offensive skill set. But in terms of, like, which Lopez brother do you trust to uh, get the ball in the post and make a shot. Well, I don't know. I mean, kind of yeah, Robin yeah. is more that guy. I mean, Robin, you know, Brooke seems to always sort of, um, Brooke is, is, I'd say, very willing to sort of settle for kind of like little fading away shots, little fading one hander, yeah. which he's very good at, but it feels like Robin <laughs> is, is more reliable with that hook shot. Uh, and Brooke, in, on the other hand, is now like, you know, basically an all, you know, defensive player of the year level defender and and obviously robin's been very good as well but you know brooke has become really the standout defensively so yeah just kind of funny how these guys evolve and you know again they're twin brothers so uh you know it's not like um you know especially growing up they literally had pretty much the same coaching (laughs) up until they were 20 years old and obviously a lot has happened in the last decade since they were drafted and came in the nba but uh, but it is just sort of funny watching both those guys now in the same system and just sort of seeing how differently they they play both offensively and to a lesser especially offensively just where their comfort level is and but you know robin just obviously a guy i mean you know again how essential is it that robin play every night um i i don't know like in the playoffs against certain matchups i'm not sure uh if he's a guy that you really are going to you would need to play night in and night out but certainly the way bud uh and the defense is structured i imagine he will want to play you know each of the Lopez brothers, most of those minutes. Um, we've seen some experimentation with Giannis at the five, but uh, certainly Robin feels like he's coming into a bit more of a comfort zone uh, on both ends. And, you know, obviously the Bucks defense and, you know, their general success overall kind of speaks for itself. So we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, with Robin kind of how things go, but um, you know, he's kind of does has done what sort of you expected him to do for the most part. Well, I think it comes back. I mean, this is the conversation we've been having through this podcast is that I think that you can play Robin every night, but you can't play him every night with four other bench guys. You know, like if you're sprinkling in mm. the starters there, then you're like, okay, I feel better about Robin Lopez. But 
yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, he certainly has found offensively. Looks like he's he's a little more comfortable out there. But before we really move off this this Bulls game, I need to mention Ursa because the last time we spoke, I said to you that Bud should have just played him forty plus minutes and let him go for thirty <laughs> thirty points, thirty rebounds. The next game, I didn't actually see the Orlando game. I, I was on the plane at that time, but. If you had to combine those two games, I'm just going to tell myself that Ersan had 30 points, 30 rebounds and, and combine those two games because he's got three straight double-doubles now, now 14 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, he looks good. He's just... Uh, I, I, I joked about it, but he's a guy that even at this point, like when you went back to the contract and it was obviously pretty controversial and the timing of it, the fact that it was straight away, you're like, wow, it's like $7 million. Seems like a little exorbitant for him. You probably didn't need to do that. Uh, he doesn't look like it. Whether it's with Milwaukee, we don't know what's going to happen next year. Even later this season, we spoke a lot about trade possibilities. Although, uh, the way he's playing, it would be hard to see him going anywhere this season. But he doesn't look like a guy that's any close, any closer to uh, retiring or, or exiting the NBA than he did before he signed this deal. He looks great. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's especially remarkable because as, as we were saying um you know, he might be 35. <laughs> like, his background, uh, you know, he basically like there was no record of him existing until uh, he became a international youth player for uh, Turkey. And then, you know, there was this uh, Uzbeki guy named Arsen Ilyasov who had the same birthday except 1984. And then Ersan shows up and he's a 1987 birthday. So yeah, let's just say there's there's a, a, a non-trivial chance that Ersan is a bit older than his uh, his official 1987 birthday, but I, you know, in a lot of ways, that just makes it even more remarkable. It just does, the fact yeah. that year in and year out, I mean, his numbers just do not change, and he has usually has some cold stretches, some hot stretches. Um, obviously, the cold stretch kind of came at the beginning of the season after he had that blistering preseason, um, but he's obviously now rounding into shape, and obviously. You know, just the level of contribution he's had while Giannis has missed some games has been obviously very notable. And, you know, especially in that Orlando game, which was by no means a gimme. Um, it was, you know, not like the Atlanta game, which you know, it felt like you could have won regardless of who started at power forward. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you have to give him a lot of credit. And, again, it, it's frustrating because, I mean, I'm a guy, I, th- I think DJ Wilson could be a really important piece for the Bucks. But when Ersan's playing like this, I mean – Again, the best argument for not playing our son is, well, you know, okay, even if you want to play in the playoffs, you know, give him some nights off. And, and we've seen that at times. You know, he's gotten some back-to-backs off and things like that. Um, but, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like one of those things that, I mean, if DJ Wilson's going to be continuing to get kind of frozen out of the rotation, I mean – I guess it's good that it's because our son is now playing really, <laughs> really well. Um, but the flip side is, you know, DJ is now in his third year. Um, if you were going to make any type of substantive trade, I mean, Ursan as an expiring salary is obviously an obvious guy that you might have to include in a deal. Yeah. And you really have not seen much of DJ at all. So um, the fact that they're not experimenting more with DJ and giving Ursan maybe some more nights off, I don't know if that's really kind of in a macro sense, actually a very advantageous thing. Um, I think, you know, on these nights when you need depth at power forward, obviously it's great to have Ursan. Um, but I think night in, night out, you know, if you're playing like a random team, um, you know, like if Giannis is fully healthy, I think there's more games where you should probably just say, Ursan, you know what, we're just going to give you that off. Give DJ some run. Because again, like seeing DJ playing with, you know, Thanasis and you know, Frank Mason or something like that, like really doesn't tell you much at all about how DJ would slot in with, 
you know, the starters or real rotation guys. So, um, so I, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I mean, I think, you know, I was talking to some folks on Twitter. I mean, I think Ursan has played obviously very well uh, and has, has lived up to his contract, but um, you know, I think Eric and I, when that, when that signing happened, you know, a year and a half ago, I mean, our, our point was not that Ursan's a bad player. I mean, our point was Ursan could be a very useful rotation guy and this could still be a contract that you wish you hadn't signed just because again, you just think about the lack of cap flexibility the Bucks have had. And, and obviously, you know, again, it's just about kind of making oxygen choices. Right. And, you know, do you want to pay 7 million for a backup power forward when you had spent a first round pick on a guy that you're keeping in DJ and obviously you're in a half of as well. when that initial signing was made, I mean, we were not expecting DJ Wilson to be anything, to be anything, right? Um, that that was a more recent uh, thing, kind of a year ago, that really started DJ being a guy who looked like a viable potential rotation player. So, um, so yeah, it's one of those things where I mean, I, I don't know. Like, Ursan's played so well, and we know how much Bud likes Ursan that I'm kind of like, even if a good deal came along, I don't really trust that the Bucks would necessarily even make it because I feel like they they probably like our son so much at this point. So I don't know. I'm, I have, I mean, I, I'm nothing but credit to Ursan for how well he's playing, but I do worry a little bit. Um, again, the, the reliance on him. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily like a very, like a long-term positive, um, which again, I, I don't want to come across as like in that way, trying to discredit Ursan or something like that. And again, we're kind of like trying to, you know, find, find problems I guess it, when we have these sorts of discussions almost like given how well things are going um, but I do think it's an interesting kind of issue let's say um, that again could could be something that that matters more than we might expect you know around the trade deadline if if there are deals out there and it you know would inevitably involve Ursan, you know are they actually willing to trade him do they have enough confidence in DJ Wilson given how little we've seen of him this year I don't know it's a, it's a tough question yeah, I think that's definitely where my uh, thoughts are coming from when I say I don't know if they'll move him. It's more like, yeah. is, the, is the team right now willing to take a, a risk by saying, okay, well, we're trading and I'm sort of projecting here that if an Ursan was involved in a trade, it may be another uh, ball handler, a guy that could get his own shot off the dribble. So if they go down that path, then yeah, as you mentioned, that means that you're throwing DJ in the deep end. And this was a conversation we had in the middle of November. Like, okay, we know what we got in Ursan. So... Uh, let's see what DJ can do. I don't know. I just don't think that at this point you would want to really take that risk. And I agree. Maybe that's not a good thing come playoff time if there's a series in particular where you're like, okay, this is difficult to play Ursan at the moment. Um, uh, you know, are you just going to throw DJ out in the playoffs? I, I don't know. Yeah, And it doesn't look like at this point uh, from anything we've seen over not just this season, but last season that uh, Bud is going to uh, either rest Ursan for load management purposes or for development purposes. It just doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So it's an interesting one to watch for sure. But And one, one, other, one other point on that too is I think one of the things that's most surprising to me this year has been, you know, Sterling has not had a great season, right? Yeah. I think Sterling has been – I'm trying to think of a player who has actually played who has been more disappointing – um, you know, when you factor in sort of the fact that Sterling's obviously a younger guy, you hope that he can continue to progress. I'm, I'm not sure if there's a guy who, and again, this isn't to like say he's been like awful or unplayable or something like that, but, you know, so many things have kind of gone right for the Bucks so far this year. And Sterling has not shot the ball well, has not shot the ball well, um, I'd say in terms of like playmaking and showing growth that just has not been there at all. Um, the fact that 
you know, Sterling has really been the guy in, in some cases who's been stealing minutes from DJ in probably a more like unjustifiable way because Sterling has gotten small ball four minutes kind of quietly. Like it, it's not always as obvious because it's when in like more bench lineups or in some of these Giannis, the five lineups. Um, but I, to me, that's the most interesting thing is um, even Sterling kind of um, eating away at, at some opportunities that might otherwise go to DJ because, you know, even in some of these games where Giannis was hurt, um, DJ was not seeing like real regular, like he wasn't playing in the first half games uh, in some of these things, or he wasn't seeing like, you know, the, the, uh, the second unit minutes, he was coming in kind of at more random time. So um, I, I'm not sure what to make of that exactly. Um, because again, in there, it's more like, you know, two young guys kind of battling it out and a guy who's to me in Sterling, not really necessarily showing a lot, continuing to get some more benefit of the doubt is, I don't know exactly what to make of that. I don't know if that's a, you know, showcasing for trade. I don't know if that's a seeing what we have with him because he's going to be a free agent type thing. Um, but I think that's also an important part of sort of the, the DJ discussion because it's definitely not just an Ursan issue. Yeah, no question. I would agree with that. I probably, when, when we spoke at the, at the start of the season about, okay, well, well what guys are, you know, potentially not going to be here in the playoffs? And obviously, Bender was just because of the nature of the contract was one guy we yeah. spoke about, uh, Ersan. And then it was, it was the three young guys. It was like, okay, would you be willing to part with Dante, DJ, or Sterling? I think at this point, I mean, Dante's been starting. I mean, they seem like they like him too much to, to move him in. Uh, any deal unless of course you know it was something that was really going to be a, be a game changer and you're like okay Dante is someone that has the, the most value out of those three which I think at the moment would make sense uh, yeah Sterling probably has been a little disappointing I was pretty high on him at the start of the season I, I liked uh, the flashes that we'd seen from him he was the guy that was in the starting lineup last season now obviously Dante wasn't playing then maybe uh, that that was just an opportunity through a chance or injury or not too sure but yeah we interesting to see what happens with Sterling but I got a I got a question for you before we wrap this up. If you were a fan of of any other team outside of the Bucks right now, and Christmas Day was going to be the last win your franchise was ever going to have again, would you choose to uh, tie a franchise record with threes and beat down uh, the Bucks on Christmas Day as your last ever win? Because uh, <laughs> because right now the Sixers are down thirty to the Pacers at the start of the fourth quarter. They're three for 21 from three. So that's some karma right there for you. And they uh, look awful. I mean, the, the, man, I'm, I'm really hoping the Bucks, well, obviously win when, when the Sixers come to Milwaukee next. Um, but I, I really want to see the Bucks, you know, return the favor the next time these two teams play, just because if, if no other reason than just to kind of even out the narrative a little bit, just because obviously mm-hmm not just casual fans, but just, you know, national folks obviously are not watching the Bucks night in and night out. And so obviously these national games play have an outsized importance. And again, I would say the exact same thing of like the Lakers Bucks game, right? Like that has an outside importance in, in people's eyes as well. That, that game obviously is not somehow the, the be all end all of, of how those two teams are going to match up. So this Minnesota game coming up on Wednesday, we, we've talked for a long time and haven't mentioned that, but obviously kind of the beat goes on for the Bucks here uh, on New Year's day. Um, Again, not a game necessarily that's going to uh, be extremely interesting to folks, given the Wolves have obviously kind of struggled. We saw the Bucks beat them pretty easily in Minnesota with Carl Anthony Towns hurt earlier this year. Towns has been out since the 13th of December due to a knee injury. Andrew Wiggins has had some sort of illness. Um, I, again, uh, 
not sure if Towns will be back uh, on Wednesday, but uh, <laughs> quite possibly another opportunity to uh, take on a team that, again, is missing a really key player if, uh, if Towns does indeed miss out. Yeah, I mean, they're 12 and 20, and they did win their last game, but I think before that they'd lost 10 in a row. And, you know, for, for a season that started pretty well and there was all these uh, good news stories about Wiggins and the way that he was playing and, and obviously, you know, Saunders is coming and he, he seems to be doing a good job and he seems to be a, a likable coach, but uh, it's just fallen away for them. And then, and then, you know, on top of that, when you lose a guy like Towns, who still is such a funny player, I mean, he goes through these, these waves where he looks like everything's running through him and he looks like that dominant force that everyone believes he should be. And then he'll go through a stretch where he doesn't seem to touch the ball and he's not getting any shots again. He's a, know, he's an interesting player to watch. But yeah, I mean, again, this is this is another game against. I mean, we've we've mentioned the record here, but against uh, below five hundred teams, this is a game that you expect that the Bucks are going to be able to uh, win at home, where they are fourteen and three at home. And yeah, I guess the interesting thing for the Bucks is who's going to play. And I think that's that that, that now is becoming the the, the thing to watch in the lead up to games. It's, uh, this time it was Wes Matthews who missed with the contusion, which was interesting because his, his few games before he missed, we, we mentioned that he, he wasn't scoring, he wasn't shooting, uh, you know, coming off that extended really good stretch of, of play. So it'll be interesting to see whether Wes Matthews gets up for this one and then uh, whether, you know, obviously Giannis, hopefully he, he felt uh, okay after that Bulls game and then, and then also Bledsoe as well. But yeah, we'll, we'll see who, who gets to suit up for this one. Yeah, and a uh, chance to also, uh, you know, we've talked about Robert Covington uh, in the grand scheme of, mm-hmm. you know, maybe maybe not the Bucks, but there might be a move by some contender to uh, to make a play for Robert Covington uh, around the trade deadline. Uh, so certainly if you're watching this game and you're interested in potential trade targets, Covington is a guy that I think is, you know, worth keeping an eye on. Um, if I remember correctly, I think he's guarded Giannis to start uh, the last time mm-hmm. uh, that these teams played in minnesota um without uh last game the game they won in overtime in sacramento i think it was, I guess it was on monday um covington wiggins uh starting at the forward spots with gorgie jang shabazz napier and trevion graham uh at the guard spots jeff teague coming off the bench uh played 37 minutes but uh yeah weird weird stuff going on uh in uh in minnesota right now with uh, some of uh, some of the injuries and just obviously just the um, season maybe not progressing the way that uh, that Minnesota was hoping. So um, again, taking care of business type type opportunity, chance to put that unbeaten uh, versus a 500 teams record uh, on on the line. And and again, I mean, you know, uh, the more you can just crank these wins out and give yourself more of that flexibility later in the year. Um, means you know the less pressure you're going to have to play a Giannis, Bledsoe, Middleton, whatever, just down the stretch, and you know who knows what type of injuries. Hopefully, you're not you're not dealing with injuries late in the year, but um, you know we know how these things go. We've seen Giannis had to deal with some nagging injuries here now for the last couple of weeks, uh, and obviously Bledsoe and Middleton have both missed time with uh, more substantive injuries. So um, keep on keeping on, Bucks. Start start the new year like you finished the last. That's uh, that obviously would be. Uh, the thing that I've all Bucks fans are hoping for. Yeah, and I'll also be hoping for no uh, hoopgate at Fiserv Forum against the Timberwolves because that was obviously the uh, the other story from uh, the game earlier in the season where I think it was delayed by about half an hour. So I'd be I'd be happy if that uh, that doesn't happen uh, tomorrow night. But uh, well, this is it. This is it for the year, I guess. Uh, maybe by the is time. It- 
is it good to be back, Kane? You're, I mean, you're, you're back on the beat. Does it feel like you missed anything going to that Bulls game last night? Or is it, you feel like you're riding a bike? How, how was it? It was good. It was fun. I was actually last night, it was, uh, so I drove up with Eric or Eric drove. And on the way home, I was sort of, he asked the same question. I was like, well, it was fun. It was good to catch up with everyone and, uh, and see, you know, the people that work for the Bucks and, and the, you know, Matt Velasquez and all the other guys that were out there. But I also was like so tired that I'm not sure that I really, like I was watching the game and I was like, this is really tough for me to concentrate right now. Like I, I was just, it was about 24 hours after I got off the plane and I just didn't really sleep that much the night before. So I feel like tomorrow night uh, I'll hopefully be back on, uh, back on my game, ready, ready to go. But it was fun. It was good to be back in the arena. It's, uh, as you know, being at a game last week, it's, uh, it's always a little bit more enjoyable when you're seeing it live than, than watching on the computer or TV. Yes. Now at least one of us will be in the building for hopefully most, most of these games. So, um, the pressure is on you now to, uh, to actually know what's going on. Um, and we, we won't have to quote Eric so much as, as we were for a while there. I can bring scoops, but I don't know if they're going to be necessarily related <laughs> to the, to the box or just like some, uh, some, I don't know, unrelated stuff from, from the media room or something like that. I can always, uh, M- NBA road eats, NBA yeah, road eat exactly. stories with, with Velasquez and, uh, and name. Yeah. Yeah, I can try and bring something to the table anyway. But that was, it's, yeah, it was good. It's good to be back. And uh, it's kind of weird, like, waking up this morning and then everyone was already, like, texting. My parents text and said, uh, you know, Happy New Year. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess, um, I guess I'm back in the past. It's already uh, not living in the future anymore. So me trying to figure out my times and, and days, uh, I'm not quite there yet. But uh, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'll get there in the next couple of days. But it's, it is. It's, it's good to be back. It felt like uh, when I got back, I, it sort of felt like I wasn't gone as long as I was. But uh, it's good. It's the right time of year to show up, I think. Nice. Well, you know, the Bucks were doing just fine without you. So uh, <laughs> if, they, if they lose two games in a row at some point, then we know who to blame. I know. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit anxious about that fact. I did say Ted Davis was the first thing. I walked in, he came running up, said hello, whatever, and then was very quick to mention the record and the fact that he's keeping an eye on the record and if they start losing, I need to leave the country. So, uh, <laughs> so we'll see. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But, uh, I mean, we're, it, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be easier for us to, to work out a time to pod now or, or more difficult. It was, it was surprisingly not that hard while, while you were in Australia. So I, I don't know, yeah. Well, this is, it's 4 p.m. right now on New Year's Eve. And this is, uh, I'm right in my, I'm right in my natural element here. This is exactly the time we, we pretty much potted every day over in Australia. So uh, it's, um, I'm feeling good about it, but we'll, we'll be able to figure that out. But uh, I reckon we leave it there, right, Frank? Happy New Year, everybody. Uh, hopefully folks uh, finish the year off uh, or by the time they listen to this, we'll have finished it off in a uh, healthy and safe manner. Uh, use Ubers, taxis, public transport. Uh, don't make any mistakes tonight uh, for New Year's, and uh, we will catch you guys in 2020.